0: thinking the same about this very topic in this very section of scripture. So God, we love you and we thank you for this study in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I just, uh, we let you know, we are in the book of Acts. If you are visiting for the first time, no worries. We are in, we're entering into chapter five. There's a lot of chapters. We're going to be going through this. What we felt was, let's take our time. Let's work through the book of Acts. So we study, like Chad was saying, in a sense, the the, the book of Acts. And we get a very deep understanding and appreciation of what it is, how it was written, and some highlight moments that are so good. Because this, the book of Acts, is the birth of the church age. This is when the church really began And when we look at these certain ages, we see that, like last week, we talked about this age that began of persecution. Last week, we talked about this scenario that happened where they healed a man. They were put on trial for it because they were proclaiming Christ's name and how we respond to persecution. And what is persecution? Persecution comes in the form of our faith being expressed are beliefs that are held and and there's a force and there's a resistance to it. There are times when it's violent and it's happening all over the world and it's happened throughout history. And there are times when it's social pressure, when it's relational strain. There are all kinds of times of persecution, but you must note that it is because of your faith, because of what you hold true to the gospel and what you proclaim persecution will come not everyone likes to hear the truth and i don't mean in a way of like oh well that dress doesn't look good on you don't say that you'll get persecution like you've never gotten before that's a terrible thing to say dad know this but it's more of proclaiming what are the truths of the gospel that there is salvation through christ alone but there is a way And it's through Jesus and his work on the cross. And you need to be born again. So that is where that comes from. This week, I'm not going to lie. This is not the subject I was really, really looking forward to until I started really, really, really looking forward to it. It was, it's one of these ones, it's not like, oh, and then they did this, and then they did this. This is a come to Jesus meeting type of sermon on Father's Day. So this is why you're here, dads, to hear this come to Jesus message you know, when I was young, I, in my faith, was very new, and there was an evangelist that had come to our church, and he was spectacular. He had all the goods, like um, he was funny, but he was charismatic, and his personality was larger than life. And I remember just, just kind of being in awe as a young man. I was. Quite immature in my faith, and so it's that hard balance of looking to a person versus looking to God, and I I didn't know to do the difference quite yet. I was navigating church life and life in the Spirit, and uh, he became friends with our family. This evangelist worldwide, and he one time asked me to go on a trip with him, me and my brothers to go travel to Europe and do crusades, and we did. Um, but it, something happened halfway through the trip where uh, he, he, you know, I was very close at helping him, and so I got to be very personal. And he, in his personal time, would say things to me that I just felt weird about. Like, But I just wanted to overlook it because he was such a, like, a, a, a wow factor. And he would said to me, I don't know about, like, my wife, you know, she kind of holds me back. And I was like, <laughs> what? Oh, well, I'm here just to, like, we're doing these <laughs> crusades. I we're, you need, cal- I, I didn't even know, like, and I just was taking it back. But I wanted to overlook it. And I was like, just get past it. And then at one time we were in the gym and he just nonchalantly said, like, I think I'm done with all of this. I've given God everything I've given him the last 20 years of my life. It's time for me. And here I am, this new believer. I, did, I was just stunned. And he said, I think I'm going to go get a talk show. I think I'm going to, you know, he, he had been a celebrity, uh, celebrity pastor. And I was really heartbroken. I, I couldn't wait to get home, actually, because I think I was just destroyed. And I got home, and I think it, it, one of the things that happened I was grateful for is that I didn't get bitter. I didn't, I had such an experience with who God was. He was very real to me. I had a very spiritual relationship with God, and He was the most influential uh, 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 person in my life, if you will. But this really took me back. Um, some people get bitter when they experience someone in hypocrisy or in, in, in sin like that. I, I didn't, and I'm grateful, but I think it's only because of my relationship with God. I didn't get bitter, but it did show me who I should and must put my trust in. Cannot put it in man. You cannot have that type of adoration or admiration for someone. You must be about Christ. You must be about God. And I remember that just being a very revealing moment for me. And I'm, I'm so thankful it happened in my young faith um, to learn that lesson early. And if you haven't, you must must learn that lesson because hypocrisy it, it, it runs rampant and it wants to most devastatingly happen within the church and that's what this text is really about this is that famous passage of Ananias and Sapphira's where they don't bring we'll read it but we don't, they don't bring the full portion they lied to everyone and then God judged them and they died Chad and I were joking, like, what should we title this? Give or die? I don't know what kind of title we should title this. Um, you'll find that this has nothing to do with giving whatsoever. This has absolutely have to do with deception and honesty. This is what the church must be about. And so the, the, you have to put aside the monetary portion of this and you have to look at the true spiritual meaning that's happening here it's about truth and it's about lies and lies deception hypocrisy destroy the church which we'll say we'll get into this over and over and over but this is subtitled the severity the severity of the hypocrisy within the church you know the church now it's very easy to poke at you know because the public church with media and we can see scandals in real time it's very easy to see and it can be disheartening for a lot of people and fuel for non-Christians. It's been through rock through scandals and splits and infighting and you name it, it happens. But the witness internally is devastating, the witness externally is even more devastating. And it's partially, if not mostly, due to the fact of hypocrisy, of deception. Uh, It's easy to look at the other churches and go, can you believe this church? Can you believe that church? But this message, this piece of scripture was a reminder to all of the church to reflect personally about hypocrisy, about deception within ourselves and the temptation to then fall into it. Acts 32 five, uh, um, through 5.11 is what we're going to focus on. We're going to see a few things happen here. We're going to see in the beginning, we're going to see we have unity, we have generosity, we have care, we have love, selflessness, humility, faith, and a high reverence for the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit leads and how He runs the church and in power. So you're going to see that. And then in the juxtaposed position, you're going to see deception and the latter half. You're gonna see pride, you're gonna see greed, you're gonna see false humility, you're gonna see selfishness, and you're gonna see a very low regard for the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And it becomes a dangerous compromise for this couple in our story. But you can't read five, one through 11, without reading four, 32, and on. It's important. It it's it manifests itself in these three characters. We have Barnabas, who is this character who is a display and an example to so many. And then you have this other characters, which is Ananias and his wife Sapphira. There's two themes in this section. There is a theme which we're going to take time in both, and it's about honor in honesty, being truthful. And honest, even before God, honors who God really is. Being honest and truthful before all of us as a community honors the community, right? And then there's the devastation of deception or devastation within deception. There is nothing more destructive to a culture and a society than deceit. Now, you bring that into the church, there is nothing more destructive to the very work God's church than deception and deceit. And I'm not saying that anyone here has to be perfect. I surely am not. But the idea of presenting one as something and living completely another way is very, very destructive within the church. It causes a lot of the issues that we see within the church today. So let's look at honor and honesty. Honesty builds the structure for unity and and selflessness. It builds the structure for unity, honesty. Think about this. When I can trust you, we will, we will, we will be in one way un- united around the fact that we mutually trust each other. And then from that, selflessness can flow. But when there is just this hesitation, have you ever been talking to somebody before? And you just listen to them for a second. You're like, I don't know if I trust you. Do you ever heard that? No? I've had this many times. Some would call it discernment. Some would call it paranoia. I'm going to go with discernment. Where I'll be listening to someone, I'm like, I need to take a step back from you to show you, nonverbally, verbally, I'm not liking what I'm hearing. It, it, it breaks trust. It breaks unity. And therefore, selflessness cannot flow. But we don't see that here in this church. We see honor and honesty. And this is all we've seen since Christ's death and resurrection. And so it flows on. And here we go in verse 32 in chapter 4. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. Now, that everything in common phrase is almost like if you were to speak of a very, very, very close friend when you can almost finish each other's sentences type of friend, when you have the same kind of interest and likes, or when you just feel like it's been 10 years, but here we go. We just picked right back up. Do you understand that feeling? And then there's like a familiar, familiar type of feeling as well when we use this word in common in this context. But that one heart is a very interesting word. The heart in scripture means it's the seat of your spiritual life, your physical life, your mental life. When the Bible talks about your heart, it means those faculties involved. And then when it talks about one soul, meaning that one soul in the soul is how you lived out your life. And so they were in unity in heart, soul, mind, body, and they were in unity in how they lived it out. It was beautiful. Sometimes when you read that, you think, man, with everything we can see around, what we've experienced, maybe ourselves in church, how do we get there? It will have to come through honesty, truth. The only way you were able to bow your knee to Jesus and have him see down your heart is because you were honest about where you were and what you needed. You were at the end of yourself. You knew you could not save yourself. And so you had to become honest. And then change happened. That's how we need to operate listen to Ezekiel 11:18 Ezekiel 11:18 is written to a, a group in exile but they're going to return they've been taken away from their home but they're going to return now we can read this and we have to remember that this is to a group of people at a certain time in the Old Testament but, the principles, I believe, remain the same, and especially God's heart towards these principles. Ezekiel eleven eighteen: When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols. And we, we could, they were worshiping idols that were not of God. But we, we have the same thing. We have idols that we have to constantly make sure that they do not... Be a part of our life. We have things that want to be in place of God in our life. So we can relate to this. Verse 19, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. Mm, This is how God wants his people to live. He did it then. It's happening here. This is how he wants his church to operate. Singleness of heart and this new spirit. I will take their stony, stubborn heart and I'll give them a tender, responsive heart. So that they will obey the decrees and regulations and they will truly be my people and I will be their God. But verse 21 gives us a clue into why we see what happens in chapter 5 here with Ananias and Sapphira. But those who long for those vile images and detestable idols, I will repay them full for their sin. And here we go. I, the sovereign God, have spoken. Those are always very important to pay attention to when God makes that statement at the end of his statement. Because God is sovereign over the world, and he judges rightly and correctly, but he will always judge and just, and be just about it. And we're going to see then, so we read that they're in this beautiful place. Things are really just, people are coming together, and there is... Everything in common. Verse 33, we're going to see that the gospel is preached in truth. And it honors the integrity of who Christ is and who he is in their life. When we do not talk about Christ in truth, it does not honor him. It's very tempting, and you will be tempted in this way when you are talking about scripture or the gospel with people, to massage it to make it work. I can say that there are moments I'm tempted many times to do it, where it's like, well, we can loosen this. We can relax. That Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's make it easier for people to just kind of be like, oh, okay. I can't. But I think the reality is very much so here, is why that was so powerful. Why this community thrived is because of verse 33. And the great power of the apostles... Uh, The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and great grace fell upon them all. There was great power in what they were doing and they were preaching the resurrected Christ unashamedly. When Peter was faced just last week, with faced with the very same people who orchestrated Jesus' death were now questioning him. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you about who that Jesus is. That's great power and conviction. We can't ever back down from what we believe. You preach the gospel, and this is what was happening in the church. It's the primary function of the church is to preach, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to go out to preach the gospel to all those who have not heard the gospel. But we're going to see in verse 34, so it does the setup. We're seeing this beautiful community working. The power of the gospel is being preached, and here we see this, this, this figure enter into the story. I don't know exactly why Luke chose to do this. It must, it's clearly spirit-led. But we see a figure enter that must have exemplified the opposite of Ananias and Sapphira. And so we see him introduced here. And we're going to see in this when we read is our Christian character. It definitely amplifies Christian integrity. In the gospel witness, your character your, will amplify the integrity of Christianity. Verse thirty-four: There was not a needy person among them, for as many uh, were le- owners of land or houses, sold them and brought the uh, the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember that, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So we can see that this wasn't distributed just. Like if we all sold all of our possessions, pulled them, and then split them like a commune, this is not what's happening. They brought them to the disciples' feet, which was how you would bring an offering, essentially, to the temple. It was brought to their feet, not to their hands for a specific reason, because to their hands would be like, thank you, appreciate the gift. It was to their feet, meaning this is for God. This is for, for God. He's led me to do this. I bring it to God, and I trust that you will distribute it as it should be. And they did. There were those who didn't receive anything. They didn't need it. There was those like Leviticus and Deuteronomy are very specific in the Old Testament about looking out for those who are the sojourners, the ones who have nothing, the ones who are struggling to get by and looking to help them. So it's very much in line with scripture, what they're doing. But we must not confuse the fact that The Bible is not telling us all to go sell everything that we have and then just give everything away. It's not what's happening. This is not about that. But it goes on to say this, Um, and it's in verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Now, if you have not read Acts, Barnabas becomes a very key player for a good portion of the book of Acts. But he's introduced here. So whenever a character is introduced, I always want to pay close attention. Especially, he didn't introduce Paul. He he didn't introduce one of the other disciples. He introduced this guy. There's a reason he did it. And it's Barnabas. And he was a Levite and a native of Cyprus, which was an island. So a field, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now Barnabas is worth doing a study on him alone. He is an unbelievable disciple. Barnabas, we, we only know this about him from where he came. He was a Hellenistic Jew, which means that he was not living in Israel. He was living in Cyprus. His, he was a native there. And he was raised not in the t- culture and tradition and the language of the Hebrews. He was raised in the culture and traditions of uh, of, of the of Roman Greco world. And he was raised in their cultures as well. He was educated. We know that. And he obviously had some resource because he sold something. Now, a Levite in the Bible, boy if you just want to do a deep cut, Levites were not allowed to own land. They were only committed to spiritual work. But that standard didn't hold and Levites began to own land. So he don't, we don't know how much he had. But we know that he sold it. It must have been a great deal for him. So he sold it. We don't know if he came from Pentecost, where they, they, all these uh, Jews from all over came in to be at Pentecost. We don't know if he was at uh, uh, the, the, the uh, crucifixion of Christ. We don't know really, really where he came from. My guess is he came for Passover, and my guess is he was one of those at Pentecost. But at the end of the day, he earned so much respect from the apostles. When you read through Barnabas's journey, you're going to find some interesting things. Do you remember Apostle, Apostle Paul, right? Saul. No one wanted to give Paul the time of day Because just prior to his conversion, he was locking people up for their faith and persecuting people on a mass scale. And so Barnabas, this man of great character, honesty, integrity, he vouched for Paul. And then when no one wanted to listen to Paul about Gentile conversion, Barnabas vouched for it. And everyone said, If Barnabas says it, that's good. Barnabas mentored Paul. He found Paul distant in a way, found him and picked him to help him raise up and speak to the church of Antioch, of which most people believe Barnabas was the leader of that church. He was a highly influential person. He was a mentor. And by the way, for a good portion of scripture, it is not referred to as Paul and Barnabas. It is referred to Barnabas and Paul for a reason. That switches later when apparently Paul snatches the pebble from Barnabas's hand. Right? He is looked at in this place. But Barnabas is this wonderful, integrous, great example of a leader. He looks out for those who need help, like Paul. He looks out for those and was moved to sell what he had for those in need. Now you got to remember, they weren't forced to sell. There has been regimes around the world that would force people to sell their land, to give it away. This was not the case. They were not told to do it. They were led to do it. It was voluntarily done to do this. So so he walked in that. He was kind. He was one who walked in humility, and he was forgiving. His own cousin, John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, had a dispute with Paul and he went with John Mark to continue to minister with John Mark. No doubt to mentor him. And they had a division between him and Paul. He was an advocate for people. And some do suspect that Barnabas may have written the book of Hebrews. This is just a very early first or second century thought about who wrote Hebrews. He was of one heart and he was of one soul. And... Uh, when his name changed from Joseph, you'll see it in Scripture. Do you ever find that where it's weird? You're like, wait, his name is was was Cephas now it's Peter. I don't I don't understand. When a name changes, generally in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you what you see is a vocational change in leadership in the church. So his name changes from Joseph to Barnabas. Paul's name does not change to Paul from Saul until a little bit later in Scripture, and then he receives this leadership level of influence and he now is referred to as paul so that's why his name is barnabas so we see this honesty honors god and honors the church and we were given an example of it and then you flip to chapter five and it just goes really south really bad but it's so good for us to see the difference the second section focuses on devastation and deception Deception, I think, true, is especially hypocrisy hurts God's very precious church. It, 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 is, it, it will work its way through and destroy churches. I think Jesus, he's dealing with this hypocrisy all the time. And, but, but there's two things I'm going to point out that are very, very interesting. One is, let's read, Jesus is dealing with a judgmental Pharisee when he says this in Matthew 15:7. He says, you hypocrites! Well did Isaiah Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, this is hypocrisy, but their heart is far from me, in vain do they worship me. This is a place we never want to be. Um. I, I, I don't ever. I never tell anyone that Christianity is easy. And I hope you don't do the same. It's not easy to deny temptation. It's not easy to deny pressure. It's not easy. It's not just like we just walk around as like being a Christian is the easiest thing on the planet. I would question how you're doing it. I, it. It is. It's very difficult. And so why labor in vain? Why be one way inside but outwardly express something that's not? Reflecting the inside. So that is what Jesus defines as a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is deception. It's lying to man. Not, it's, lying, it's not lying to man. It's lying to God. Ooh, that's like for real. <laughs> if you really step back and think about it for a minute, we may think what hypocrisy is is we're lying to everyone else around us. But really what you're doing in the context of our faith, we're lying to God. And we will see he does not like that. Luke 12, 20, uh, uh, Luke 12.2 says, nothing is, un- nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Jesus is letting everyone know that it's, it's, it's a waste of time to be something that you're not. It's a waste of time to be deceptive. It's a waste of time. Honesty builds all those wonderful things we just read, and deception destroys all those things, and God will see it. No matter how good of a church face we may have, it's something that will be uncovered I think sometimes I was thinking about this. Why is it sometimes I don't take seriously hypocrisy? Sometimes why don't I take God seriously? Why don't I? Why don't I just think that? Well, I'll be fine and I can repent for it later. I think sadly because I think it's a. I think of God in this area, and God of grace, God of mercy, is a lot like our, our government, which is, something happens, we all know it happened, and then the politicians do say we're going to get to the bottom of this the truth's going to come out but the truth never comes out do you know what i'm talking about this is not how god works it will come out and and the bible says it will be on that day of if anything the last day of judgment and we'll stand before god and we'll have to face god and this is how serious that is it it will be revealed he says it's not like how the government works Open your Bibles, if you could, to Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And I want to read the second part of the story, this de- story of deception. We'll read through it, and there's a few things I think we should talk about before we close. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his with his wife's knowledge. And he, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and uh, brought only a part of it. And laid it at the apostles' feet, so he did what everybody else was doing. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not yours at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So we see that there was a a deception happening within this couple. They wanted to look the part. They wanted to be what Barnabas did. But they did this in their own power in their own might. They were believers. They were filled with the Spirit, no doubt. But they wanted to be something they weren't. And so they decided to show everyone something, but only deliver half. This is not about money. This is about deception. You have not lied to man, but to God. But when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came over all who heard. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him, which was tradition. You put a body in the ground as fast as possible in that culture. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came and found her dead, they carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And verse 11, a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, The verses following that say that this was such a shocking incident that no one joined them anymore. (laughs) This is a terrible church growth strategy. Do you know this, right? I mean, a great giving strategy. Give or die, but like a a terrible strategy. But what it did is it, 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 it put the mark out very strong that Those who are true and those who want to operate in honesty, come. But be warned, those who look to play a false game here, that God is not in favor of that by any means. And not at all. Okay, let's look at verse 5. Ananias and Sapphira, we don't know much about them. We really don't. But generosity was happening, grace was moving in the church, and they saw something that was happening in the community, and they said, look how everybody is treating Barnabas. Let's do that. I'm guessing. I think this is what's happened. We can't remove ourselves so much from that. Just because you didn't sell a piece of property doesn't mean that um, we won't struggle with the same thing, right? Right? We all will struggle with this. They saw Barnabas and they twisted it. But verse verse 2, let's look at that. His wife had knowledge of it, so she was in it. And they kept back the proceeds. Only part, and they laid it at their feet. And this was that. They, they went through the actions with a, in pure heart. I remember when I was doing youth ministry and kids would raise their hands when we would worship. But then... Uh, you know, when you're the youth pastor, you see everything. Does that make sense? Like, I don't see kids raising their hand like, oh, wonderful. I'm there policing the crowd. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you got to be there. And so I'm policing the crowd, and I would see kids like this. Literally, they just knew if they put their hand up, no one would come bother them, and they were just talking to their friend the whole time with their hand up, praising God, and they were, like, joking and laughing, and I was like, Phew. and I would go after them. I'm like, stop doing that. that that's enough. I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's going through the motions with a heart that's not there. It's laboring in vain. It's a waste of time. And, and I don't think it's respectful to what is really happening. But they only brought a part of it. They said they were going to donate, and they didn't donate for, for, for gain. Listen, I promised myself I wasn't going to bring this up at all within our church, but I, I, this is too perfect of an example There was a great trial that happened that took the whole nation by storm with the Johnny Depp trial. But there was one significant moment that happened on the stand when the attorney said, you said you donated this money, but you didn't donate any of the money you said you were going to donate. And she said in return, I pledged it. That's the same as donating And They said, no, you, no, it's not. This is what's happened right here. I pledged it. And God is like, that's not the same. This happened right here, just like this. Jesus condemned hypocrisy strongly. Matthew 23 is the strongest condemnation of hypocrisy. You should read the whole thing because it's the whole chapter. I'm going to give you the cliff notes and I'll give you a little cheat sheet here. This is what Jesus did. Eight times Jesus called these church leaders, but we can take it also to evaluate ourselves, hypocrites. He listed exactly why they were hypocrites hypocrites and so we can read this a little bit he these were the great woes towards these leaders one i quote from jesus for they preach but they do not practice that is something you never want to hear your kids say to you like you tell me to do but you don't do it this is never good for preaching and not practicing I've been in so many churches and so many contexts where I have seen this, unfortunately, to personal mentors, to very close friends, where they are preaching, but then when I would see them away from the pulpit, it was like, I, you're not who what you're teaching. It's unfortunate and it's sad. And I have to fight against that all the time. And Jesus says this against them. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. This is, the danger of hypocrisy. I can't lie. I am tempted by that sometimes where I will do something and I want to be like, did anybody see that? That was really kind what I just did. Anybody there? And I'll nonchalantly drop it out like, so the other day, yeah, this person, I mean, you know, God, to you, God. No. All glory to me. I stole it. I stole it. I stole it from God. I labored in vain on those days when I do that. Matthew 6, 4, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Do it in private. It's so much more important that God sees it than the pats on the back from those around you to protect you from hypocrisy. He said this in this Matthew 23 rant, if you will. You neglect... The weightier matters of, jo- of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You're busy down here, but you're not paying attention to things that are here that matter to God. And you've busied yourself away from these things that are here. And so, therefore, you've built away your own religion that just makes you feel good. But you're not doing the things that God has commanded you to do. They're focusing on the fringe he uses these two examples he uses more but these are the most ones we'll remember is that the, he calls them a bowl that is used and it's full of rotten food but you wash the outside and set it back up there my kids do this by the way they'll wash it and they'll be like up oh, and i look at it and i'm like this is unbelievable <laughs> right but they will white will wash the outside but the inside is rotting he uses another example he says what they would do is paint these tombs white to make them at least look nice on the outside and he would say you're just like that whitewashed tomb beautiful on the outside but inside you're a rotting carcass these are striking examples that we cannot bring into the church You must not bring them into the church. Your character will testify for you at judgment day, Jesus is essentially saying. "Where the day will come when your character will testify for you. Who says it right here? You witness against yourself in Matthew 23. We never want ourselves to be on the stand at the day of judgment and (laughs) witnessing against us. You want your character witnessing for you. And so this is what he says. And he finishes with you, you, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Oof. Okay. That's serious. He says this in this entire speech. But we will read by that sometimes and go, oh, those Pharisees. But hypocrisy is something God cannot tolerate. In deception, he cannot tolerate. The greatest threat to the church is hypocrisy. Let me just finish up this real fast. Peter, he could have overlooked all of this. This is a, him being a good pastor. He could have overlooked all of it and be like, hey, money's money. You know, he's like, hey, you sold half. Who cares? It's fine. You did a good thing. He did not do that. It was better to hear the truth than maintain a lie. And so when he said, oh, Ananias, your heart was filled by Satan to lie. This doesn't mean for any Christians, by the way, that your heart can be filled by the devil. Your heart is full of Christ and full of the Spirit. What this means, and there's multiple times throughout Scripture, you'll see the devil influencing, the devil captured their heart, the devil tried to tempt Jesus away from his calling, like multiple times. Judas even, where he would have moments where he was heavily influenced by the devil. You cannot be possessed by the devil as a believer, scripturally. It's just not there. But he was heavily influenced. And we must protect ourselves. The Bible says to resist the devil and he will flee. The Bible says that that he roams around like a roaring lion, looking for whom the weak of which he can destroy. We must protect ourselves. We must guard ourselves against him. We have to resist it. I'm resisting sugar right now. It's been a week, and it is unbelievably terrible. But do you know what I did? We have a whole bucket of candy in the office over there and I was going to remove it, sorry, to the staff just for my sake. But I walk by it and I, just, I get the opportunity to say no to it. God's not going to remove all the, all, all the temptations in your life. He's not going to pull all of them aside. You're going to have to resist it. You'll, you're living with it. It's around you, but you must resist it to build the resilience against it. This last one here. Why is it that you contrived in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I, I, I just think, like, how is it that you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Man, they were in this place where the spirit reigned so powerfully in front of them. How would you, why would you even tempt that? Why, why, why do that? But they did. But a great fear grew over everyone. After this, and it's put a line in the sand that this is not a game. We're not messing around here. (laughs) This is serious. Come, I think this is true. Come as you are, as you really are. God will accept that. He always does. You have to be humble of heart and you have to be honest. But I think this it's better to come as you are in your witnesses to the world than to present something that's not really there for false glory. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Come as you are. God accepts honesty. As ugly as it may be in your life, he accepts and loves that. But to come falsely bearing something else, he opposes it. and He opposes it hard. And the church surely can't have it. We see its manifestation all over the world. And our heart breaks every time we hear a new story. Let's not do that. As believers, let's not do that, right? You guys can bow your heads and we'll close. We will honor God in our honesty and we will avoid the destruction of deception when we hold those truths tightly. If you're here and you struggle with this, it's a temptation. You will have to, you will have to Purge yourself of this temptation to be a hypocrite. It's so easy to look at everyone else and go, look at that hypocrite over there. At least I'm not like them. But we have, this passage is to examine our own heart and let the Spirit speak to us in areas where we might be hypocritical. I'll just say this. It's not worth lying to God. It never will be. It's not worth it. You can be a hypocrite, obviously, in different areas. I don't recommend it. But when it comes to our faith in representing God, he seems not to like it when we lie to him. He knows what our lie is, but it breaks his heart nonetheless and angers him. I would encourage you today to choose, I can only say it this way, the Barnabas way. Choose the Barnabas way. Choose the way of integrity, the way of truth, the way of honesty, the way that honors God. You're not going to walk out of here with little angel halos around your head and you're going to be perfect. I know that. But when it comes to your faith, represent you as you are. We cannot be a church that pretends to be something that's not. Or the devil will be knocking at the door to take a foothold and grab your heart. And you do not want that let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, God. Thank you that you show up in ways that correct and direct your church. And God, as we reflect on this section of Acts, God, that we see this dichotomy between truth and honesty and honor and deception and destruction, God, help us always choose truth and honor. And God, let us be a people that are very real And not fake, but very honest and open before you and showing up as we are who we are. And God, I just thank you for that. We love you. We thank you for your conviction in our life and the work in our life. And God, we thank you for what you do in our lives. And God, as we get ready to go out in fellowship and we get ready to break bread together, God, we do this in honor of you, of your death, your burial, and your resurrection of your broken body, God. And we ask that you bless this meal. And we thank you that your blood was shed, that our sins would be forgiven, that we'd be made right with you, God, that we are heirs and we are we are children of you, God. We are grafted in as is said because of your blood. And we thank you for that, Jesus. And we'd eat in honor of that today as a community who lives and breathes for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this last song?